Good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you have gathered here with us today. What a, man, what an incredible moment to gather in this place and worship. Somebody say amen. Incredible. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Can I ask you that question? Maybe I can add a word to it. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Really? Really? This, this, this whole month as we begin this new year together, this has been the question that I've been inviting you into, myself into, is just to ask this question and as honestly as possible to try to get us to wrestle with it, to answer it. Is Jesus really at the center of your life, of, of our life? And what does that look like? And what does that mean? Because the temptation every year as we begin the year, it's always the same, right? We want to we wanna do, do things different. And so we want to begin every day with Jesus. We want to end every day with Jesus. We want to have 10 minutes at lunch where we spend time in the word of God. And all that's good. Don't get me wrong. But if Jesus ever becomes something that we check off a to-do list and we move on with our day, then perhaps we've missed the greatest invitation ever extended to humanity to do life with God, to have Jesus at the center of every part of our life woven into the very fabric of our life. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Have you become more aware, as we just sang, of his presence, of his goodness in every part of your life? This is the invitation of Jesus. And he's put his cards on the table. This is his desire. He wants you to know that he is with you and he wants to dwell within you and he wants to be present. He wants you to be aware of his presence. In fact, God is always inviting us to be present. Is Jesus at the center of your life? What does it look like to have Jesus at the center of your life? What does it look like for him to be at the center of your purpose? What does it look like for him to be at the center of, of every relationship? What does it look like for him to be at the center of every conversation, of every invitation, for Jesus to be at the center of everything you do and everything that you are? What's it look like for him to be at the center of your family? What does it look like for him to be at the center of your work? What does it look like for your life to revolve not around you, but around him? What does it look like? for Jesus to be at the center. My guess is you could probably look back over the story that is your life and you could find those moments in your life. You could pinpoint those places in your life where maybe you felt the presence of God. Maybe you experienced the nearness of God. Like you knew in that moment, God was with me. God was present. Maybe it was like a high watermark in, in worship like we just had. Maybe it was, it was a moment at the birth of a child. Maybe it was at your baptism when you rose up out of those waters and you just knew, right? God is real. God is here. God is near. And you could take like a pen, right? And just the timeline of your life is stretched out from the day you were born until today. And you could, you could put on that timeline the different points where you experience the goodness and the nearness of God. And maybe there's other points where you couldn't know it then, but looking back with some perspective with the gift of time and distance, you can look back and there were those times where maybe, maybe at the moment God didn't feel near. Maybe you were walking through what we call the valley of the shadow of death and you couldn't see it then, but now you know because you can look back. And you know that it, even though those times and those seasons were difficult and hard, like you just know God was with you. In fact, you might even say God carried you through some of the most difficult times of your life. You couldn't feel it then. You couldn't see it then. You couldn't even know it then. But now looking back, you know, you can see. 
And you could take this red thread and you could stretch it from pin to pin, point to point, place to place, all along the journey that is your life. And you could see how God has been with you, how Jesus has been at the center of it all the whole time, when you could see it and even when you couldn't. Today we're going to bring this series, Jesus at the Center, to a close, but it's more of a segue into this next series that we're going to call The Red Thread. And I could not be more excited about this for a million different reasons. But what I want you to see as we move into this next series next week is, is this idea that you can actually trace the presence of Jesus from before creation all the way through creation, through the pages of history, which is really his story, right? Through the pages of scripture, through the pages of the Old Testament, all the way through the New, all the way from before creation to the cross, you can see how God has always been at work, how Jesus has always been present. You can trace that through the pages of scripture. You can trace that through the history of time, but you can also trace that through the story that is your life. And, and over this, these next 10 weeks, from, from next Sunday all the way up till Easter Sunday, which by the way is gonna be Baptism Sunday again here at Riverside, we're going to take time to think about how we can see the presence of Jesus all throughout history, all throughout your story, all throughout my story, tracing that red thread. And what I hope to do through that is just to raise your awareness, raise our awareness that God is always at work. And if we're honest, sometimes it's in invisible ways, but God is always at work, often in invisible ways, for your good and for his ultimate glory. And we want to trace that red thread and see how God is at work. Notice the places, raise our awareness, experience the presence, keep Jesus at the center. That's going to happen next week, and there's going to be some more things Jason's going to tell you about at the end that's going to really make this this series, I think, even more powerful as we kind of strive to grow in our discipleship of Jesus, our, our learning, being a student, a follower of Jesus. As we strive to love him more and love each other more, we want to use this series to, to lean into that discipleship. But, but I want to I sort of land the plane today with this particular idea, with Jesus being at the center of your life and my life. I, I want to end with this question. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? What does a church look like that has Jesus at the center? Anybody remember 2020? I know it was just three years ago, but we're still coming off a lot of things that happened in 2020. And, and I don't want to make light of it, so please hear me. Because I know when we talk about 2020, 2021, COVID, there's a, a lot of loss happened in those years, right? Uh, people lost jobs. People lost wages. People had to relocate. People had to move. Things changed. People lost people they loved. And if that's you, if you experience any kind of loss over these last few years, I want you to know we love you and we care deeply about you and about that. And we don't ever want to make light of that. Uh, I bring up 2020 because of this. Uh, for our family, when, when everything kind of happened, you remember how, how everything just kind of got put on pause all at the same time, right? I remember, you know, hearing the, the news, the NBA is canceled. And then all of a sudden, you know, schools are going to, you know, extend spring break. And now my kids have to figure out how to do school online. And my wife has to figure out how to teach school online. We're trying to figure out what his church looked like. And we're all home. And not just that, but, but all of a sudden, all of those after-school activities that our kids are involved in, they're put on hold as well. So, so now this strange thing happened. We're just all home looking at each other, right? We got 
time. It's like, what do we, what do, we do? And, and it was good. It was a gift of that time. I'll be honest, I appreciated that, that blessing of, of just more family time. But, but pretty quickly I realized, like, I'm not good at just sitting around. You can ask my wife. I'm not good at just sitting around. And I needed something to do. All of a sudden I'm not driving kids all over the Metroplex every night of the week. So I've got, I've got to do something. So I decided to take on a project. And, and I decided to take on this project. I'll show you a picture. I, I decided to build a shed. I don't ask me why, but I decided we needed a shed. And you're looking at this thinking that's not a very impressive shed. And it's not. It does have a window. I'll point that out. But that's not the most impressive thing. Uh, but it was a project. It, it kept me busy. Now what you should know is I'm not a builder. I had no business building this. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not a handyman. My dad is. I called him like every day of the week. What do I do next? How do I do this? How do I do that? I borrowed tools from people in this church. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, people, and I figured this thing out because I have this philosophy in life that everything is figure outable. Like you can, you can figure this stuff out. You just gotta, you gotta keep at it. And so I did and, and I called my dad, what do I do? And he's like, the first thing you gotta do you know, before you buy a board, before you, you know, you, you, you hammer a nail, you, you got you to gotta get the foundation straight. You got to get it right. And you guys know this, whether you build things or not. You know how important the foundation is. And I didn't want to mess with pouring concrete and making a slab. He's like, you don't have to. For this kind of thing, you can just go buy these foundation blocks, these foundation stones, and, and it'll be perfect for what you want to do. You can put your platform on that, and then you can put the shell on top of that. It'll all be great. I'll tell you how to do it. Fantastic. I go, I get those foundation stones. I lay them out. I measure everything like 25 times. It's all perfectly arranged, perfectly you know, set up. And I start digging the holes to put these foundation blocks into the ground. And you know what happens? I'm working my way around, then I come to the cornerstone. Probably should have started there, folks, just to be honest. But I didn't. But I, I got there, and I start digging. And you know what I found? Well, I found it. I got a sprinkler line right here. Well, that's not going to work. Like, I'm not, I haven't done this before, but I know I probably shouldn't have put this. I don't know how much this is going to weigh, but it's going to be way too heavy for this little PVC pipe. And so I think, well, I got to move this one, but I can't just move this one, right? If I just move the one foundation stone, what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to be out of alignment. The whole thing's going to be out of whack. None of the angles are going to work. Nothing's going to be be good. It's not, this thing is not going to stand the test of time. It may not stand up six months. If I don't get this one thing right, I got to fix this stone, which means I got to fix every other stone. If this one's out of alignment, I got to make everything change. Everything has to shift, right? To get into alignment with this one so that the whole thing will be stable and sturdy and be able to stand. This happens when you build things, but this happens in people's lives too, right? Like, you know this, like if, you're, if, you, if your life ever feels unstable, if you ever feel, you, you might even say, man, I feel like my life is just out of alignment right now. I'm, I'm off center. I've, I've, lost my, I've lost my center. We say these kinds of things because it's true. And whenever you do this, whenever you lose your center, whenever the, the cornerstone of your life is out of kilter, then everything else in your life becomes unstable. Everything else becomes out of alignment. And now all of a sudden, all these things, you start to feel uneasy. You ever had that moment where you reacted and about 30 seconds later, you're like, why did I do that? There's this unrest beneath the surface of your soul and it's just sitting there and doesn't take much to reveal it. Whenever our lives are out of alignment, whenever, we, whenever what should be at the center is not at the center, whenever what should be the cornerstone isn't the cornerstone, all of a sudden we begin to feel uneasy, unsettled. There's this disquiet in our soul and everything's just not working the way it's supposed to work. This happens for us, but it also happens for churches. And this may sound crazy, but did you know that it's possible for a church 
to lose its center. For a church to build itself on a cornerstone that's not the cornerstone. Churches do this all the time. Churches build churches on cornerstones that aren't the cornerstone. Churches lose their center. They forget why and where and what they're all about, right? And whenever a church does this, whenever a church loses its sense of alignment, gets off center, whenever there's a cornerstone that shouldn't be the cornerstone, what happens? That church becomes very unstable. You see it all the time. And it happens. So let me ask this question again. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? What does church look like with Jesus at the center? We know what should be at the center, but so many times we forget and we lose our center. I wrote down some thoughts, and I'm going to share these with you guys. Nobody get upset. Nobody get offended. I'm having a little fun with this, all right? But I just wanted to to, to maybe get us thinking about what does a Jesus-centered church look like. Here's what I wrote down. Uh, is a Jesus-centered church, is it the one with the biggest building? Is it the one with the most members or at least the most attenders? Is a Jesus-centered church the one with the, the tallest steeple or the prettiest cross out front or the most beautiful stained glass windows you've ever seen? Is a Jesus-centered church, is it the one that has a celebrity pastor that everybody likes? Let's hope not because this is not good. <laughs> not me. Um, is it the church uh, with the one, the one with the best music? Is it the one with the biggest missions programs to the farthest places? Is the Jesus-centered church the one with the best kids ministry or the best youth ministry? Is it the one with the coolest worship leader? We can check that box. We got that. Is Jesus, is the Jesus-centered church the one that has, uh, that sings the songs that I like? Is it the one that has the ministries that I think are most important? Is it the one where the, where the, where the preacher wears a suit? Again, I'm hoping that's a no. Is it the church that keeps everyone happy? Is it the one that has the right words on the sign out front? Like, what is a Jesus-centered church? What does it look like? And I'm having a little fun here, but, but let's be honest. Like, some of these things, this is what we think about, right? Like, man, yeah, I wish we had that, or I wish we were more like that. And, and we live in a strange time, don't we? Because this is how we think about church. When people go church shopping, these are some of the things that they're looking for, right? I want a church like this, or a church that has that, or a church that does this, or a church that cares about that. And we think about church in all these ways, and we even compare churches. We compare our church to that church down the street. We wish we were more like them in that way, or we wish we had that going for us or whatever. We live in a, in a really interesting time where the way we think about church, well, it's interesting to me because I think the way that we think about church, the things that we think are important, whether we want to admit it or not, they didn't really matter so much 2,000 years ago when the first church started. And the things that mattered some 2,000 years ago when the church first started, they don't seem to matter now as much as they did back then, at least not in some ways. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? What does a church look like that has Jesus at the center? Shouldn't this be the question like, that we're wrestling with and we're leaning into and we're always asking? Like, what does that church look like where Jesus, where it's Christ and Christ alone at the center? The early church, I don't want to give you any wrong ideas because they were a hot mess too, just to let you know. The first church, they had a lot of problems. In fact, if you open up your New Testament, you'll see all these correctional letters written to churches. They're correctional letters because they needed correcting. They were getting it wrong more often than they were getting it right, right? And so all of these letters are, are you know, the, Paul, Peter, they're, they're speaking into the life of these churches. Hey, you're, you're going this direction, but I need you to kind of go this direction, Right? There were different things they were trying to correct and help them learn and teach them as they were growing in their own discipleship. But they, they did have a clear vision, I believe, of truly what mattered most. 
And I think you can see that in this one letter. If you have your Bibles or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I would love to invite you to open up to Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul. He started this church. He, he stayed in Ephesus for some three years. And if you've never been to Ephesus, I hope you can go someday. It's beautiful. Most of that city is still standing and you can kind of get a vision for what it must have been like. For, for this man named Paul, who was a believer in Jesus, to move into this city and start a church where one didn't exist before. And he, he stayed there for three years, nurturing it and building it and helping it get going. And it did. After it did, he kind of moved away from there and he kept going and spreading the gospel and planting churches in different places. But he writes this letter back to this church in the city of Ephesus, this church that he loved so much. And he wants to make sure, he wants to remind them of what really matters. So if you have your Bible opened, look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 19. Listen to what Paul writes. He says this, So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. In other words, because of Jesus, everyone is now invited. Everyone is now welcomed into the family of God. Everyone is welcome to the table of the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Because of Jesus, because of what God has done in Jesus and through Jesus, now there is this one gathering. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and everyone is welcome. And he wants them to know, you Gentiles, you're coming into the church, you're putting your faith in Jesus. This is wonderful. This is good. You need to know you are welcome. And now it doesn't matter. Your identity is not based on your nationality. Your identity is based on your faith in Christ and Christ alone. And, and Paul wanted these, these, these Christians, this growing group of followers and believers in Jesus to know this, that you're welcome. You are welcome here. You are welcome to be a part of the family of God. There is no longer a foreigner. There is no longer an outsider. Your identity is in Christ and what Christ has done for you. And your faith in Christ is now what marks you as a follower of Jesus and, and gives you this belonging into the family of God. This is what happens as we come together. So verse 20, together, he says, together we are his house built on what? On the foundation the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, everything that we've learned up to this point, everything we've been taught from the apostles and the prophets, this teaching about God, about the nature of God, about what God has done in and through Jesus, this is what we are building our faith on. And this, by the way, this is why preaching is so important. This is why we gather in this room every single Sunday and we open God's word together and we lean into God's word together and we want to grow in, in the knowledge of God's word together and the knowledge of God together because we build our faith on the teachings of the apostles and prophets. This is why it's so important, if you're not already, that you come a little bit early on Sundays and you join a Bible class because this is what we do in class. We open the word of God in smaller groups and we learn about what the word of God says so we can build our lives, build our faith on the word of God. This is why we have classes for our, our teenagers and for our children. This is why we have men's small groups and women's small groups. This is why some of you gather for lunch and you get together and you open God's word and you read and you study and you pray together because we build our faith on the word of God, on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. But it's not just their teaching, is it? What does Paul say in the very next line? And the cornerstone. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? This is it. It's the church where Jesus is the cornerstone. 
He's the cornerstone of the church, not the, not the church building. You understand the difference, right? Not this building. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. The very next verse, Paul says, we, we are carefully being joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are the church, not this building. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for this building. I'm grateful for, for the people who bought the property and built this place and this space where we can gather. But this building is the building. We are the church. 150 East Beltline Road, that is our church building address, our church house address. But don't miss this, we are God's address. God lives, God dwells in us. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. In the ancient city of Jerusalem, you can go there today and you can see remnants of the temple. Inside the temple is where, where the presence of God, the spirit of God dwelled in the holy of holies. But now Paul says we are that temple and God is building us together and we are becoming a holy temple for the Lord where the spirit of the Lord dwells. Y'all probably been wondering about this, right? Anybody in here like Lego? I used to think this was called Legos, but it's not. There's no S. So if you didn't know that, just a public service announcement. Lego is apparently a singular and plural, and I'm, I've broken it twice now. Put this back on real quick. Uh, th these are incredible, and uh, I know a lot of you love these little guys. Uh, this is a pretty simple one. I, this is like my level. Um, these come, you know, with a box that has a picture of it, and inside the box there's all the Legos, and inside of that there's a little uh, booklet, right? And it tells you kind of step by step how to put these things together, and you can build some pretty amazing thing. things with Lego. One of the shows my family loves to watch from time to time is the show Lego Masters. Anybody seen Lego Masters? Unbelievable, right? Like they have these teams of people, two people per team, and, and they give them an idea. They don't, they don't give them up. There is no box. There's no picture. There's no instructions. There's no little booklet. They just give them an idea. Hey, build, build a pirate ship. Build a spaceship. Build a treehouse. Build a whatever, right? And then they just turn them loose. And there's a room full of like buckets of Lego blocks, you know, different shapes, sizes, colors. And they do different things. And they run in there and they grab these, these Legos. and they, Lego, sorry. And they, they, they bring them to their table and they start building these incredible things over a period of, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 hours. And at the end, it's just mind-blowing the kind of things they're able to create with these little Lego blocks. And you wonder, how in the world did they do it? They didn't have any instructions, but they had a vision. And they knew, they knew that every block, every Lego has a different shape, a different size, a different color, a different function, a different purpose. And they knew how to put it together to build it and to make it into something beautiful and good and amazing and God. In the same way. He knows how to put us together. I mean, look around the room. I love this room. Different people, different ages. Different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different functions, different talents, different abilities. And God knows how to build us together into his church where the spirit of the Lord dwells. I don't get it. People sometimes say, I love God, but I don't love the church. I don't need the church. I'm like, what are you talking about? God is the one who, who puts us together and builds us into a church. He puts us together where we can become a holy and living place where the spirit of the Lord dwells. And that word church, by the way, in the original language, just a really quick piece of trivia for you. It's the word ecclesia. It means 
gathering. I love that. What is the church? We're a gathering. It's what, when we come together, we're gathering. It's like the Lego blocks are coming together and God is building us together once again. And it doesn't matter when we meet or where we meet. It just matters that we come together. And when we gather together, what happens? God is building us to, into a place where the spirit of the Lord lives and dwells. How do you build a Jesus-centered church? I would contend it starts with Jesus. And it starts with you, and it starts with me. It starts with you building your life on Jesus and me building my life on Jesus and then us coming together and allowing God to build us together into this. Not a place, but a people. A holy temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And we come together and we build our lives as best we know how on Jesus. And the truth is, I can't build a church. You can't build a church. Only God can build a church. But what happens when you gather with God's church is you put your life in his hands and he takes your life and he takes your life and he takes my life and he begins to piece us together brick by brick and he builds us into something beautiful. How do you build a Jesus in your church? What does it look like? I've got a different list for you. What does a Jesus-centered church really look like? Here's what I wrote down. Maybe it's not the church with the biggest building. In fact, it may not have a building at all, but it's the people who are built on Christ where Jesus is the cornerstone. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? Maybe it's not about the number of members or attenders, but it's about the presence of Jesus whenever and wherever two or three people gather in his name. What if it's not about steeples or the cross out front or the stained glass windows? What if it's about Jesus being lifted up and living cross-shaped lives and allowing the light of Christ to shine in us and through us to the world around us? What about the music? What if it's not the church with the best music, but what if it truly is about making a joyful noise to the Lord? What if it's not about having the biggest missions program that goes everywhere in the world? What if it's about us serving the least of these whenever and wherever we can? In short, what if it's not about me? And what if it's not about you? What if it's all about Jesus? That shed I built in 2020, by the way, is still standing. Not because I'm that good of a carpenter, I'm not but because I called my father and he told me how to set the foundation stone. Church, if we wanna build a church that lasts 20, 30, 40, 50 years for generations to come, that can happen if we call our father and we get our foundation stone set. And this is what my prayer for you and it's my prayer for us, that you would move Jesus into the very center of your life. And by the way, that is not a call to perfection. You're not gonna get it right every day or every moment of every day but it is an invitation to move Jesus into the center of who you are. 
into the center of all you do, into the center of your family, into the center of your work, into the center of every part of your life, to be mindful of his presence, to lean into that presence. And it's an invitation for us together to shift our priorities and to think about what really does matter most. And what matters most is us coming back to Jesus and allowing him to be the very center of this church. It's one of the reasons I'm so grateful that here at Riverside, every single Sunday, we come to this moment, typically in the middle of our worship time, today we're gonna do it at the end, called communion. Because it's one of the ways that we center our lives as a church on Christ and Christ alone. It's at this moment every Sunday when we gather in this place that we become a Jesus-centered church because we remember and we retell the story that Christ came, Christ died, Christ has risen from the grave. If you have those elements, if you have the bread and the cup, I wanna ask you right now just to go ahead and take those and get those in your hand. And I know I've been talking for a bit here, so I wanna ask you, if you would, just turn to your neighbor and just say these two things. Christ died. Christ is risen. One, two, three, go. Christ died. Christ is risen. This is the story we tell and we retell. This is a story that we remember that Christ came. He lived. He died. Three days later, he arose from the grave on Sunday. That's when we gather every Sunday because it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. For the next 40 days, he was seen by more than 500 people. And then he gathered with his disciples and they watched as he ascended to heaven. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you have put your faith in him, Paul also says in Ephesians that we are now seated with him in the heavenly realms. This is what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. I wanna pray for us, and then I wanna invite you to take that bread and take that cup. And remember the body of Christ that was given for us, the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. And as you take those elements, I want you to pray and ask God to help you keep Jesus at the center of your life and to help us keep Jesus at the center of his church. Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer. And we confess that so often it's so easy to lose our center, to get distracted. It's so easy for us to, to build our lives on a cornerstone that is not the cornerstone, that is Jesus. It's so easy to forget the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's so easy to forget the hope that we have. It's so easy to forget the power of God at work then and it worked now and I pray God that you would remind us again the great love of your great love revealed on the cross of Jesus Father as we take this bread as we take this cup as we do every week would it recenter our lives and recenter this church on Jesus Christ and Christ alone we pray in his name